0: The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan-Green. Hogan-sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. He delivered his talk over Zoom from his home to both residents and home practitioners. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, and it's wonderful to see a full zindo, as well as the folks at home, Um, and uh, I deeply appreciate the invitation to be able to speak to you today. From The Tempest, Act Four, Scene One, by William Shakespeare. The revels now are ended. These are actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud capped towers, the glorious palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which inherit shall dissolve and, like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made of, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Well, here we have it. This is how we live. This is the world until comes the time when our revels now are ended. Indeed, we are such stuff as dreams are made of, and our little life is rounded with the sleep. A. H. Dogen put it this way. To what shall I liken the world? Moonlight reflected in dewdrops, shaken from a crane spill. Anyone who studies Buddhism will understand that ceaseless change is the basis of the teachings and this practice of studying ourselves as well. Everything that is is impermanent, and changing. Nothing lasts. Nothing can be grasped or held. Dissonance arises when we don't fully appreciate the simple but profound truth. Perhaps we think of ourselves as a set piece, somewhat responsive to changing conditions, but ultimately me. Conceptually, we may think of our true nature. as also a thing like something stable, beyond time, eternal, and ungraspable. What allows our practice to transform our life is that our true nature, who we really are, our nature of being, Is inherently ungraspable. And given this, the ungraspability, the unknowability, elusive to thought and perception, we are imbued with a dynamic transformative quality built into our being. If we can but see for ourselves, the transience of our moment-to-moment existence. See and appreciate and live in it. We and all are change itself. You can't hold on to a thing that has no fixed thingness to it. Try that we might It's interesting how we may moan about how the same thoughts and patterns that we have struggled with for years seem to continue endlessly. Yet it just may be that a familiar sense of judgment and self-centeredness pays our attention on these specific thoughts that still run through our mind. And this is what we focus our attention on. Even as we're able to be more sensitive and aware of our habitual thoughts that lead to our suffering and are less caught by them, I think we all can appreciate that practice is not a circle, but a spiral. And though, although we may pass through similar situations in our mind over and over again, with the empowerment of awareness, it changes in the process of being able to see it sooner, let it go sooner, being able to see into the transiency of, of the thoughts of our karma can really help us to really help us not be so caught by them. What we are actually aware of is change. There will be change, simply because change is the nature of reality. It is our nature. Change reflects what we are practicing as our life. And we all know that everything changes yet somehow we stick with a sense of permanency, holding on to that as a baseline. This can be helpful within a functional context, but creates immense pain when we define, when we define ourselves as loss occurs in this fixed way. Change has a cover, layers of endlessly repeated thought streams, which are so persistent and persuasive that we identify as them. We often define ourselves in terms of these conditions and see ourselves as insufficient, falling short, because we're committed to sticking and to resisting change. Of course, there's a time to hold on and a time to let go, but there still is a context for it, and that context is ceaseless change. We may seem at times intent on denying our power within our lives. That power is always present in some form, and it's up to us to step out of our role to walk away from our self created pageant and come truly alive. That's our job. It's fascinating to see how artists do that sometimes. And also fascinating to see how they don't do it in other parts of their lives. They're great artists. Of course, we are not in control of events. Yet events are not separate from our being. And we can always practice how we experience what is happening. That is always available to us. What does practice events mean to us? We can you use words like, be one with it, or a deep and profound acceptance. In a sense, all of a practice is aimed at realizing the non-duality of what we experience. That we're not separate from anything, we're not. events are just another name for impermanence. Who we fundamentally are is not a fixture. And our practice rests on this. Think of your experience in Zazen, how our thoughts flow constantly. Along the way, we begin to get a sense of how we create them and how we are not locked into that creation. In the beginning, that may not seem evident. But if we persist, we can see how we can create or not create. There's a subtle and profound truth in that. That's the third noble truth, the option of not suffering. It's alive and well in our zazen, just to not create, but you can't force it. It's not another thing to grab onto and another recipe. Uh, this is what I'm going to do now is not create thoughts. Oh, I'm creating thought. Well, that whole thing, as we know, are more thoughts. It is impermanence that allows the inherent completeness of ourself as ourself and as things that we awaken to. Because we are dynamic, we can transform or change and see into our true nature and seeing into our true nature, we are seeing this dynamic quality that we are. That's what we're seeing. This is how we awaken, given that we're all human, all being momentarily alive, moment to moment to moment. And this is all of our Buddha nature. And this is how our own enlightenment can be the same in quality as the Buddhas and ancestors. Not necessarily in depth, but the fundamental quality of insight is there in our realization, which is not a thing and not graspable and not a fixture. Awareness, mindfulness, and I'm using this term in the the most fundamental sense of awareness, is not something fixed or passive or resistant to change. That base awareness is inherently transform, transformation. All processes are Buddha nature, but the process of spiritual practice is how we attune ourselves, and are attuned to that constant transformation. That's what we're doing when we practice. It's built into the world the way it is, how the world works, and therefore is extraordinarily trustworthy. It does bring forth the paradoxical parallel between the, the need to both accept ourself wholly and to work ceaselessly to transform ourselves to awaken, to both accept the deluded suffering world, fully accept that, and ourself, and to work ceaselessly to save it. I mean, this tension is perfect. It, There's no intellectual solution to it. There's only practice. That's it. That's what we have. And that's enough. In the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha asks of us, predating Shakespeare a bit, thus should you see this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom in a dream. When I first heard this, I couldn't relate to it at all. I mean, it's not my experience. My experience is solidity, fixture. I'm me, proud of But when we shift, when we practice to appreciate the transiency of our being, each moment of our life has an ungraspable preciousness. I was trying to come up with a a way of presenting this. And there are many examples used in Buddhism, but I was trying to avoid a cliche. We'll see if I'm successful. Perhaps you're familiar with the term wabi-sabi. It's incredibly difficult to translate. Wabi-sabi is a way of appreciating beauty that is, quote, imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete in nature. Its incompleteness is its completeness. I have an inc- incense ball on my altar. And in, as I was sitting before this talk, and also in preparation for the talk, I was holding it in my hand. The ball is made by Ho- Hojin. And the ball is just this, just this. It has a delicacy and a roughness to it. It has no discernible pattern, and yet it is complete in its non-patternness. Its beauty transcend- transcends the perspective of beautiful or not beautiful. I can deeply appreciate it without making it a thing, without making my appreciation a thing, or defining it, or nailing it down. I've asked in the past, Hojin Sensei, about making these balls like this. She says it's very difficult. I hope I'm not misquoting her. That they, this is a particular style of, of ball, and they tend to, to break the kiln and it's not always easy to to make it work with the processes and the dyes probably not using the right term and yet in its ungraspableness it has a wholeness that at least to me, holding the ball is unmistakable and bears no resemblance to many other incense balls I've seen. So, this quality, the qualities of this bowl point to impermanence, to suffering, and emptiness of no self. There's no self in this bowl, there's no trace of the artist. It's boldness bowl When we live within this subtlety, a life begins to reflect an understanding that within impermanence is permanence. Within suffering is not suffering. But within no self But you have to see what's being said here. These terms are not different from the opposite perspective. It's not an opposite perspective. And although I use these words and we understand them, there is no understanding here. It's the the eighth ox herding picture. And then so sometimes drawn as a circle that is not completely enclosed. Is it incomplete? Is it complete? You are the sense are you incomplete or complete? Do you lack? Where is, what is this lack? Like? And what does it mean to live, to investigate this question? Completeness, not completeness. So to live in this way makes our day seem very precious, very poignant. And Dogan discussed this We discuss the preciousness of each day with diligent practice, and the fascicle continuous practice. He says, thus a single day must be of great importance. If we would live vainly, even for a thousand years, we would regret the days and months we had wasted, and we would be sad for our own body although we were to run around as a slave to sounds and sights for a hundred years. Within that time, if we're able to practice even for just one single day, not only we would be putting our whole life of a hundred years into that practice, we would also be able to save the hundred years of other lifetimes. We would cherish the body and mind in the life of one day with practice. We should respect this body with practice. I've been thinking a lot about the term respect and what that means. and My understanding of that has changed a great deal particularly within the Sangha, to how do I learn how to respect and honor someone else's practice, even though I may not, I may have an opinion of it, or I may think they're off someplace, but ultimately may not help them. And I'm slowly learning over the years to have more and more respect for each person for their karma and their power. And to trust that, to trust that within me and to trust that within them. And obviously it can be situational dependent. Our life, when we attune to time and change, It's like a ball in a river. Actually, our mind is like a ball in a river. Now moving slowly with the current, now quickening, now bouncing off boulders, caught by eddies, now floating quietly along. How do we live in this river? Where events can take us out of our flow, wash us up on the beach, sweep us down a cataract. Given this, how can we conduct, conduct our life? I was speaking to someone today who you may recognize him. He works for a spiritual organization, a, in a broad sense, a Buddhist spiritual organization. in a power of some Authority in a position of some authority of power. And he was talking about not to promise from an organizational viewpoint complete freedom, complete freedom from suffering. And this is an interesting perspective that. You know, the Buddhist way can be interpreted that what I feel, the suffering that I feel, will totally go away if and as I practice. And how we understand that is crucial. I can remember when I started practice, because of the way things, certain things were phrased, If you die before you die, you will not die when you die. And not understanding that somehow, although I understood I would die, somehow in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to live forever. Now, I wouldn't have said that, but that was working in my mind. And perhaps working in our mind is that I won't have suffering. There's the story of the Buddha... That you may have probably did hear of, where a farmer comes up to the Buddha and says, "What does following your, your method, your way of practice, do for all the problems I have? It rains too much. The insects eat my crops. My child is, doesn't listen to me, and the person goes on and 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 on. And, on. and then finally stops, the Buddha says, "Well, I can't help you with any of those problems." But I can help you with the 49th problem. And the man said, what's the 49th problem? And the Buddha said, the expectation that you won't have any more problems in your life. We will have problems in our life. That doesn't change. We're working with ourselves. we're working with our mind, we're working to see how we understand self and other, self and problem, and what that expectation between the two is. And when we do a deep dive into that, we begin to understand a very different way of looking at ourselves, looking at our problems. You know, one of the basic ways of transformation is to look at everything that comes our way as a place to practice and to work with. Which doesn't mean we have to eagerly await old age sickness and death and all that we encounter in life. But we will encounter these things. And how we work with these things, these problems, how we understand them, that in spite of how we feel in the given moment, this really is a chance to see deeply into our life and what we want. Well, I want the problem to go away. Of course we want the problem to go away. But even if it goes away, it's going to be replaced by another problem. So let's start with how we're working with this problem. What is the problem? Where is the problem? From a spiritual perspective, fixing problems is not the answer, although we need to often. But to see more deeply than that, into ourself and other, other being the problem, either person or anything else, the weather, my aching bones, my sickness, my coming death, and so on. And with this, there can be in our life a life of practice, a sense of graciousness. I don't mean nobility, which can be understood as hierarchical, but a sense of kindness, of gentleness, of generosity. So I use the word gracious, which can become how we go through the world, not as a, a pasted-on quality that has the deep essence of the function of our practice. I don't think that's a small thing, to be gracious in all the circumstances that we can be gracious and, and to practice it when we can't. I just heard a cow in the field outside my window, move and appreciation. I don't know if you heard it or not. So Dogen says, This being so, continuous practice is unstained, not forced by you or others. It's a crucial statement. We're not making something. Sometimes our mind is very concentrated and attentive and aware and other times not. And yet, in all circumstances, it can be continuous practice. The power of this continuous practice confirms you as well as others. What do you think he means by confirms? It means your practice affects the entire earth and the entire sky in the 10 directions. Although not noticed by others or yourself, it is so. Dogen talks in a different fascicle about being time, time being, which is yourself, your life. And that's worthy of study on its own. Nagarjuna said, the mind that sees into the flux of arising and decaying and recognizes the transient nature of the world is called." The way-seeking mind. Dogen commenting on this says, most people are not able to acquire the way, to acquire the way, the way-seeking mind of spiritual awareness without deeply understanding that a day consists of 6,400,099,180 moments. I don't know how to arrive at that number. My sense is that this moment is the single one of those billion that we can practice and awaken it. This moment. In Buddha's teachings, each moment appears as it disappears. In other words, in each moment you are appearing and disappearing. And as you disappear in this moment, you are appearing and disappearing. This is our life. This is the karma of being, the not being. You and I and all beings within each moment are transient. You know, we begin to get a sense of that in Zazen. As our thoughts slow down, often in the beginning of practice, we say a mind is filled with thoughts. There's so many thoughts, one after another, one after another, one after another. And as I turn back to my breath, again, I'm attending to my breath, but there are thoughts going on. And the response usually is that, and you can physiologically show this, that our mind is only capable of attending to one thing at a time. But it's happening so fast. We can't appreciate that. It seems like multiple things are going on at once. And it's the same thing with appearing and disappearing. When we move so fast, there's no way to appreciate that. When our mind moves so fast. And yet, what else would thusness be? Dogen says, in general, establishment of the mind and attainment of the truth rely upon the instantaneous arising and vanishing of all things. If all things did not arise and vanish instantaneously. What was done in the previous instant could not depart. If that's bad, bad done in the previous instant had not yet departed and good in the next instant could not be realized in the present. I'm slightly botched that, but. It's because this instantaneous arising and vanishing of all things that no matter who we are and what we've done and the karma of our life, this life can be realized in the present moment. It's a new moment. There is karma. And this life can be realized in the present moment. And so, Dogan's describing how we're not trapped by our unskillful behavior. This moment instantaneously arising and vanishing is fluid and all-inclusive. And at the same time within its fluidity, it is. Dogen expresses this in the Gendro Koan. One translation of the Gendro Koan is manifesting suchness. And it's one of the most difficult and challenging passages because it challenges us to shift beyond a normal way of understanding and perceiving. He says, firewood turns into ash and does not turn into firewood again. But do not suppose that ash is after and firewood is before. That's what we usually suppose. We must realize that firewood is in the state of being firewood. Completely. And it has its before and after. Yet having this before and after, it is independent of it. Ash is in the state of being ash and has its before and after. Just as firewood does not become firewood again after it is ash, so after one's death, one does not return to life again. Thus, that life does not become death is a confirmed teaching of the Buddha Dharma. For this reason, life is called the non-born. That death does not become life is a confirmed teaching of the Buddha Dharma. Therefore, death is called the non-extinguished. And then he summarizes, life is a period of itself, all and complete, lacking nothing, nothing outside it. That's me commenting. Death is a period of itself. For example, they're not like winter and spring. We do not say that winter becomes spring, nor do we say that spring becomes summer. And this is challenging. This is really challenging. Challenging. Dogen doesn't deny the conventional, everyday experience of our sense of time as a linear progression. But from the point of view of practice realization, this view does not hold. It creates suffering. It creates separation. Realization holds all being time. A being's time and time's being in this very moment. This is the complete non-duality of things, of existence, of time. The implications of this understanding is a lifetime of practice investigation. And the implication is that each thing becomes itself valuable as its own being. Not only things, but time and concepts and thoughts and eyebrows, and noses. There is a context that is not being denied. And yet, each thing is whole and complete to itself. We're stepping into an awareness that the smallest grain of sand, the most insignificant among us, has value as itself beyond anything we could know or measure. And as karmic human beings conditioned in this moment of time and space, no matter how deeply insightful we may be, there's plenty of work to be done on our pervasive conditioning. Dogen writes, the time when continuous practice is manifested is what we call now, here, right here, between our Zafu and body, between our inhalation and exhalation. Light within us is a living dream of our Buddha nature. Realization that the vastness of ceaseless change, there's mystical communications an awareness that may not always be available, but is there, is present whether we have it available to us or not. And when we encounter this, when we forget ourselves and become ourselves, this mystical communication occurs. It's a dream of this breath, this awareness, this koan. Mu is a dream. To see moon, you have to dream as moon. This is not a dream of you as moon, but it is itself moon. And we can encounter this in the most unexpected places and times. The first time I heard Nina Simone sing, it was this song written by Sandy Denny as the writer. It changed how I understand, how I understood my being. Although I did not realize it at first, yet it continued to haunt me and haunt me and haunt me. And as she sings this, and many have sung it, she lived and breathed it. She sings, across the evening sky, all the birds are leaving. But how can they know it's time for them to go? Before the winter fire, I will still be dreaming. I have no thought of time. For who knows where the time goes? Who knows where the time goes? Sad, deserted shore, your fickle friends are leaving. Ah, but then you know, it's time for them to go. But I will still be here. I have no thought of leaving. I do not count the time. For who knows where the time goes? For who knows where the time goes? And I am not alone while my love is near me. I know it will be so until it's time to go. So come the storms winter and the birds in spring again. I have no fear of time. For who knows how my love grows? Who knows where the time goes? We can feel this. We can live within the nitty-gritty nature of being alive in this moment. Seeing, facing change. Impermanence in this moment. When things change, it is gone. Where what is it? Where is it? The thing we thought fixed, a person, a love, a moment, now dead, now gone. Our health, now well, now ill. Security, however defined now gone. And so it goes. Who knows where the time goes? Where these things went? But they are gone. We are unborn and undying. We are fully alive. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.